Hello, and welcome back to The Corporate Casket. My name is Blair, and today we're going to be talking about a very difficult topic. Before I get too far into today's episode, I want to issue some content warnings. There will be mentions of abuse in this video, and this is going to be just overall very difficult to discuss. After my initial video on Huawei, where I mentioned that the tech company is surveilling the Uyghur Muslims in China, many of you asked me to talk about this specific situation that's going on right now. I think there's a few of you that may know that China currently is holding Uyghur Muslims in what's called re-education camps, but it goes a lot farther and a lot worse than just that surface level explanation. And that's what we're going to try and discuss today. I'm going to also provide an update on Huawei's involvement as well, but that will be towards the end of the episode. In the meantime, let's get into the histories of this camp and the whole situation. Please know that this situation is extremely complex and I'm not claiming to have all the information about it. This is going to be more of an overview and to bring more awareness to this topic that I feel not a lot of people know about. So let's get started. So the Uyghur Muslims are part of a Turkic ethnic group recognized as native to the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in Northwest China. In 2007, one article wrote that the Uyghurs lived in relative peace with the Chinese. However, tension was already brewing under the surface. According to The Economist, after the September 11th attacks in New York City, China took the opportunity to claim that they were also a victim of global terrorism. As one man explains, In the minds of the party leaders, the Uyghurs are different and different is bad because the control of the communist party is the only thing that stands between China and total chaos. In addition to that, there have been outbreaks of terrorism. So there has been a sense that Xinjiang especially was getting out of control and needed to be brought back in line. One boiling point came in 2009. ABC stated in late June, 2009, a disgruntled worker posted a rumor online that a Han Chinese woman had been sexually assaulted by Uyghur migrant workers at a toy factory in Xiaoguan in China's Southeast. Han Chinese, if you don't know, is the majority ethnic group in mainland China. In response, some Chinese workers cornered and beat Uyghurs in the factory, killing at least two of them. Footage of the attack spread swiftly online and almost 4,000 kilometers away in the northwestern region of Xinjiang, ethnic tensions reached a boiling point. Uyghur students staged a demonstration in Nurumqi, where some claim police fired live ammunition on protesters, sparking the riots. Chinese authorities reported that 197 people, the majority of them Han Chinese, were killed in the resulting violence and 1,700 people were injured. In the following days, mobs of Han Chinese people took to the streets with sticks and metal bars, meting out revenge in attacks on Uyghurs. It was the deadliest unrest in decades, but the figures are hotly disputed. Some Uyghurs in exile suggesting thousands may have been killed in the reprisals. The Chinese embassy in Australia said the July 5th incident was a serious and violent crime that had partly been plotted and incited by outside forces and resulted in the loss of innocent lives. The embassy said after the incident, authorities took decisive measures in accordance with law to ease the tension, protect local people's safety and property and maintain social stability. But this was only the beginning of the riots and the growing unrest. In 2014, there was a deadly attack on the Kunming station. 
A group of four were accused of the attack where 31 people were killed and 141 were injured. The members of the group were sentenced to death and the fourth life in prison. The Chinese government blamed Islamic terrorists from the Western region of Xinjiang for the assault. This only further fueled the government's hostility toward the Uyghurs and the government has since, as Nuri Turkel, a Uyghur advocate puts it, likened Uyghurs to a cancerous tumor or a mental illness. The timing of these riots too was significant. In 2012, China's domestic security budget doubled. In Xinjiang, however, it tripled. In 2016, Xi Jinping, the general secretary of the Communist Party, appointed Shen Quanguo as the party secretary of the province. This was a calculated move to suppress the Uyghurs as Mr. Chen was a party boss in Tibet from 2011 to 2016, another region where China wanted to crush ethnic unrest. According to The Economist, he introduced a system of pervasive and insidious control, increased police presence, stepped up the communist propaganda campaign in Buddhist temples, and created a culture of fear-mongering neighbors to spy on one another. Now he has taken these tested methods to Xinjiang. The thing that alarms me so much about this is that the Chinese government is against Islamic practices, and that's not entirely true. They're against those that don't assimilate and conform. The diplomat explains that there are actually two major Muslim ethnic groups in China, Hui and the Uyghurs. This article reads, while these two ethnic communities may share the same God, their respective positions within Chinese society remain radically different. The Hui estimated around 11 million can be found throughout China. Most however, are concentrated within the Ningxia Hui autonomous region. They are unique in China as they represent the only one of the 56 officially designated nationality groups in China for which religion is the sole unifying criterion of identity. In skin and blood, the Hui are a little different from their Han brethren. For the vast majority of the Hui, Mandarin is the mother tongue. And besides refraining from pork and alcohol, they have much the same dietary preferences as the Han. The most striking difference between the two groups though is their respective positions in relation to the Chinese government. Unlike the Hui, the Uyghurs face an alarming amount of state discrimination. Under the guise of counterterrorism and anti-separation efforts, the government maintains a pervasive system of ethnic discrimination against Uyghurs and sharply curbs religious and cultural expression. Notes a 2013 Human Rights Watch report on China. It cites an omnipresence of the secret police, a history of disappearances, and an overtly politicized judiciary as common components of the atmosphere of fear among the Uyghur population. The Hui are not mentioned in the full country report. Like the majority Han Chinese, the Uyghurs also have a strong attachment to their cultural practices and are deeply prideful in their culture's long history. They have little desire to assimilate into Han society. Their reluctance to do so is met with reactions ranging from chauvinism to claims of ingratitude by the Han elite. Reciprocally, the Han inclination to patronize and discount the Uyghurs referred to as the barbarians in dynastic times as culturally inferior breeds resentment and frustration among Uyghurs. The Hui on the other hand are the identical religious minority for the Chinese government. They have largely assimilated into Han society, having adapted their Islamic practices to fit into the Confucian influenced macro culture. Their mosques, a harmonious blend of traditional Chinese dynastic architecture with Islamic motifs, are the perfect manifestation of the Hui's fluid assimilation. Another aspect of the cultural dimension that affects the Uyghur's societal positioning is race. Racial discrimination pervades the Uyghur-Han relationship in China. 
Many of the Han feel uneasy towards the Uyghurs, believing them to be thieves and hotheads, and in more recent years, religious fanatics. Part of this is because the Han are poor at distinguishing the differences between Turkic minority groups. As a consequence, when crimes are committed by Tasiks, Kazakhs, Kyrgyz, Uzbeks, or Tatars, Hans will likely describe the wrongdoers to authorities as Uyghurs. Suddenly, nearly every non-Han crime taking place in China is committed by Uyghurs. My point here is, as well as the diplomat's point, is that this seems to be about territory and xenophobia more than what it's about, as the article puts it, as a distaste for Islam. And tragically, this cultural genocide is working. The Uyghur language was banned in parts of Xinjiang, mosques were closed, and Uyghur identity is being lost. Then, soon after, came the internment camps. The New York Times reported that since 2017, the authorities in Xinjiang have detained many hundreds of thousands of Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and other Muslims in internment camps. Inmates undergo months or years of indoctrination and interrogation aimed at transforming them into secular and loyal supporters of the party. What broke my heart the most about reading this is hearing about children coming home from school to an empty house. If they asked authorities where their parents were, officials were told to tell the children that their parents had been infected or exposed to radical island and they were being treated or dealt with. Students were also told that how they behave could affect if their parents were released early or not too. All of this comes from more than 400 pages of internal Chinese documents leaked to the New York Times. Yet the Chinese government denies this and calls them job training centers, though these documents confirm the coercive nature of the crackdown in the words and orders of the very officials who conceived and orchestrated it. Some reports say the Uyghurs can be sent there simply for wearing a veil or having a long beard. One woman, Mama Tati, said that her sister, 34-year-old Patem, was sent to a detention center for having too many children. Under the countrywide policy, which rarely, if ever, is the cause for imprisonment, rural families in Xinjiang are limited to three children. Patim had four. According to CNN, this reason, as well as potential threats, are listed more often than having a criminal record. I believe it's simply because China does not want the Uyghur population to grow. How else can China possibly explain this detainment? It's inexcusable, it's heartbreaking, and yet, It only gets worse as more news sources have been able to get glimpses or leaked documents of the camps. One ASPI, Australian Strategic Policy Institute report, states that, there are strong indications that some 80,000 Uyghurs have been forced to work in factories that form part of the supply chains of at least 83 global brands, including Abercrombie & Fitch, Acer, Adidas, Alstom, Apple, Amazon, Asus, BAIC Motor, BMW, Bombardier, Bosch, BYD, Calvin Klein, Candy, Carters, Soretti 1881, Schengen Automobile, Cisco, CRRC, Dell, Electrolux, Fila, Founder Group, GAC Group, Gap, Geely Auto, General Electric, General Motors, Google, H&M, Hayer, Hisense, Hitachi, HP, HTC, Huawei, iFlytech, Jack and Jones, Jaguar, Japan Display Inc., LL Bean, Lacoste, Land Rover, Lenovo, LG, Leaning, Mayer, Maizu, Mercedes-Benz, MG, Microso, Mitsubishi, Mitsumi, Nike, Nintendo, Nokia, The North Face, Oculus, Oppo, Panasonic, Polo Ralph Lauren, Puma, Rowi, SAIC Motor, Samsung, SGMW, Sharp, Siemens, Skechers, Sony, TDK, Tommy Hilfiger, Toshiba, Uniqlo, Victoria's Secret, Vivo, Volkswagen, Zara, Zegna, ZTE. 
That's one hell of a list. And unfortunately, some of them like Amazon, Apple, Google, and others are just so big that they seem untouchable. The report suggests that these companies have been using forced Uyghur labor in their supply chains. As a result, they could find themselves in breach of laws which prohibit the importation of goods made with forced labor. Among the International Labor Organization forced labor indicators, the report identified the following factors as relevant for the case of the Uyghur Muslims. Being subjected to intimidation and threats, such as threat of arbitrary detention and being monitored by security personnel and digital surveillance tools. Being placed in a position of dependency and vulnerability, such as by threats to family members back in Xinjiang. Having freedom of movement restricted, such as by fenced-in factories and high-tech surveillance. Isolation, such as living in segregated dormitories and being transported in dedicated trains. Abusive working conditions, such as political indoctrination, police guard posts and factories, military-style management, and a ban on religious practices. Excessive hours, such as after work, Mandarin language classes, and political indoctrination sessions that are part of job assignments. The report focuses on a few case studies. For example, the report alleges that in January, 2020, around 600 ethnic minority workers from Xinjiang were employed at Qingdao Taekwang Shoes Co. Limited making Nike sneakers. It further added that at the factory, the weaker laborers make Nike shoes during the day. In the evening, they attend a night school where they study Mandarin, sing the Chinese national anthem and receive vocational training and patriotic education. The curriculum closely mirrors that of Xinjiang's re-education camps. A month after the launch of the ASPI report, the majority of the named companies have not addressed the accusations, whether to reject the accusations or explain their due diligence procedures. The ASPI report calls upon other states to not turn a blind eye, but together with other states to increase pressure on the Chinese government to end the use and facilitation of Uyghur forced labor and mass extrajudicial detention, including through the use of targeted sanctions on senior officials responsible for Xinjiang's coercive labor transfers and to review trade agreements to restrict commodities and products being produced with forced labor. It is time for China to put an end to its practice of human rights violations, including abuse of religious minorities. Forced labor is only one aspect to these camps. Threatening family members that aren't in the camps, the abuse, it's all horrific. Reuters states that the entire Western region of Xinjiang has been called a no rights zone and former detainees have described being tortured during interrogation and subjected to a brutal daily regimen of communist party indoctrination that's driven some to suicide yet China still insists these are vocational training centers. Reuters worked with Earthrise Media, a nonprofit group that analyzes satellite imagery to plot the construction and expansion of 39 of these camps. They state that the footprint of the built-up area almost tripled in size between April 2017 and August 2018. These facilities are growing and Reuters only focused its analysis on 39 out of 80 detention facilities that have been identified. It's like there's no end in sight to them. And if 80 have been found, I have to wonder how many more are being hidden? How many more construction plans are still in the works? These have only been around since 2017. Even though periodic crackdowns and restrictions have intensified since 2009, the fact that this happened in less than a decade is incredibly alarming. Adrian Zenz, an anthropologist who has tracked the expansion of the camps, estimates that there could be as many as 1,200 camps, at least one for every county and township in Xinjiang. The sheer scale that Reuters demonstrates is nothing short of alarming. There's one screenshot that I took that shows the camp size as compared to an Olympic track, and it's massive. 
What worries me is that once the Uyghurs have been used as a scapegoat, stamped out, and their people have suffered, who will be next? I know you might think it sounds crazy, but this isn't even you know, a first for concentration camps. The Nazis also singled out LGBTQ individuals during World War II, as well as physically and mentally disabled people, Roma, Poles, and other Slavic people, Jehovah's Witnesses, not only Jews. The number of non-Jewish civilians murdered for racial or ideological reasons in concentration camps could be up to half a million individuals. The frequently cited number of 5 million has been debunked and it may not be accurate. However, many, many more people of these communities were killed by Nazis in the course of the war too. So then, once the Chinese government feels it has control of the Uyghur population and other Muslims incarcerated in these camps, what outsiders will they put into these ever-expanding camps next? I don't know, maybe that makes me sound paranoid, but this intense indoctrination and horrible treatment should be worrying, and it is. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to be concerned that this could spread to other groups of people living in China. According to Reuters, interviews with eight former detainees, all of whom are now outside China, reveal a picture of harsh extrajudicial detention that is at odds with Beijing's claim that it is providing vocational skills at training centers to help the local population. Some of the former detainees have said they were shackled to chairs for days during interrogation and deprived of sleep. They describe living in prison-like conditions. Their every move, including visitor to the toilet, was monitored by cameras and microphones, they said. One female detainee said her cell was so crowded that inmates took turns to sit and rest while others stood. From early morning to night, the detainees said they were subjected to mind-numbing indoctrination. This included reciting Chinese laws and communist party policies, as well as singing the national anthem and other traditional red songs. Those who failed to correctly memorize the lines of communist party dictums were denied food, said one detainee. Detainees were forced to renounce their religion, engage in self-criticism sessions, and report on fellow inmates, relatives, and neighbors. Of the eight former detainees interviewed by Reuters, four were Uyghurs and four were ethnic Kazakhs. Some requested anonymity, and in some cases, because they feared repercussions for family members who remained in China. We can't even be sure how many people are even in these camps, though it's estimated to be at least 1 million people. Uyghurs are made to denounce their religion, to fall into place with the rest of the population. Some sources also argue that the Chinese government has economic reasons for doing this as well. Part of this detainment may be related to the Belt and Road Initiative, loosely based on the historic Silk Road. This vast collection of infrastructure projects would connect China with Africa and Europe, significantly expanding their influence. This would span across over 70 countries and cost hundreds of billions of dollars. The people in power like Xi Jinping don't want anyone getting in the way of these plans. These concentration camps are an effort to control the population too. Although I do feel that this situation absolutely deserves more media attention, I don't want to mislead anyone and pretend that it's being completely ignored either. Many are aware of the severity of the situation and calling for change. More and more articles are coming out in recent years, refusing to give China an excuse for their actions. The Uyghur Congress especially has spoken out against these atrocities and state on their website that WUC, World Uyghur Congress main objective is to promote democracy, human rights, and freedom for the Uyghur people and use peaceful, nonviolent, and democratic means to determine their political future. By representing as the sole legitimate organization of the Uyghur people, both in East Turkestan and abroad, WUC endeavors to set out a course for the peaceful settlement of the East Turkestan question through dialogue and negotiation. 
The WUC declares a nonviolent and peaceful opposition movement against Chinese occupation of East Turkestan and an unconditional adherence to the international accepted human rights standard as laid down in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and an adherence to the principles of democratic pluralism and rejection of totalitarianism, religious intolerance, and terrorism as an instrument of policy. The WUC also participates actively with the UN Human Rights Council throughout the year and submits written statements and reports and organizes side events that focus on Chinese human rights abuses. The UN Forum on Minority Issues has also presented us with ample opportunity to raise the Uyghur issue in context of other groups facing comparable discriminatory treatment around the world. And it's just so frustrating to see this and feel like there's nothing really that I can do. Not only to see the Chinese government exaggerating acts of terrorism to further their agenda against Uyghur Muslims in China, but the camps themselves, it's just all of it. A dozen United Nations experts have criticized China's actions too, and even said that their counterterrorism laws are being used to justify gross violations of basic rights and freedoms. The experts concluded that not only does counterterrorism law flout international human rights standards, but also that anyone affected by these policies, presumably including all those held under them, should have their rights immediately reinstated. The experts offer a stark indictment of the government's disrespect for human rights, that such practices deeply erode the foundations for a viable social, economic, and political development of society as a whole. To get real with you guys, look, I'm not gonna pretend that Islamophobia only increased in China after the 9-11 attacks. There's obviously been increased discrimination against a ton of people in the US and Europe too, including Muslims, Arabs, Sikhs, and South Asians in America, especially since 9-11. That's not right judging the many for the actions of a few. I think education and understanding other cultures is the best way to battle xenophobia. I'm not saying there aren't foreign terrorist organizations because of course there are, but to have this attitude is also dangerous. Just because an Islamic extremist group was responsible for an action doesn't mean that it's a justification for those types of camps. None of the attacks in China are justification. And again, many of them are exaggerated. I'm not going to go on and on about this forever. I think you get the point I'm trying to make here. Fear, the economy, tensions, riots, there's no good reason for these concentration camps. There just aren't. No human deserves that kind of treatment. Whether you call it modern day slavery or concentration camps or cultural genocide, what's happening remains the same. As time goes on, more and more governments realize this. Germany too has spoken out against this behavior even as soon as September 2018 at the Human Rights Council. There, the German representative stated, Germany remains deeply concerned about the deteriorating human rights situation in China, in particular the plight of Uyghurs and other ethnic and religious minorities, including Tibetans who suffer from systematic discrimination. In Xinjiang, hundreds of thousands of people have been detained in so-called re-education camps. We witness massive infringements on the freedoms of religion, expression, and the right to a fair trial. We call on China to immediately close all re-education camps, release all human rights defenders, and fully cooperate with the UN special procedures. This is a worldwide issue. And yet, while dozens of countries take note of this, China still refuses to acknowledge that these camps are anything but education centers. It's infuriating to say the very, very least. Despite all this criticism, all these concerns, China not only pretends it's not happening, but no, they take it a step further. 
One article states that, in response, China's government has cynically tried to use the United Nations as a shield for its bad behavior. In a letter to the editor in The Economist, a senior Chinese diplomat in London suggested that his government's policies in Xinjiang follow principles embodied in a number of international documents on counterterrorism, such as the UN Global Counterterrorism Strategy. But at the risk of stating the obvious, no UN counterterrorism principle would ever countenance the surveillance, family separation, mass arbitrary detention, and forcible political re-education of millions of people, as is the case in Xinjiang. By dragging the UN into the debate, the Chinese government is ratcheting up its move to cast the oppression of Turkic Muslims as counterterrorism and trying to cloak these mass crimes with the legitimacy of multilateralism. Previously, top UN officials have often been loath to the question the Chinese government's characterization of their campaign as counterterrorism or demand that Xinjiang's detention camps be closed. But not everyone is willing to toe the Chinese government's line. UN member states and UN human rights experts have increasingly been willing to challenge Beijing's rights record. While the Chinese government has faced isolated violent attacks in Xinjiang, a responsible and right-respecting counterterrorism response does not involve arbitrarily detaining a million people. Indeed, the UN global counterterrorism strategy that China cited actually emphasizes the need to uphold human rights and warns that violations of human rights and rule of law can fuel terrorism. As the UN Secretary General reviews the UN's counterterrorism strategy in the coming months, he should make clear that he won't allow the UN's principles to be taken out of context and used as a fig leaf to justify bone chilling repression. Otherwise, unscrupulous governments like China's will continue to use the UN's words to justify their atrocities. And again, the absolute nerve of the Chinese government here is stunning. I'm not surprised, of course, that they wouldn't admit it, but still. It's like every other country in the world, every one of these leaders know the abuse and prison-like conditions exist, but China refuses to publicly acknowledge it. All right, so let's take a moment to pay some bills today and thank today's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Now you guys know the deal, ExpressVPN is a service that hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located. You can choose from almost a hundred countries and you can access anything from different Netflixes to shopping deals to like literally anything. I've recently been on this weird kick of doing this thing where I'll set myself to just any country that is just not the US essentially. And then I'll go through and see what the customized ads for me are when I scroll through like Instagram and stuff are. I just wanna see like what kind of ads the rest of the world's getting, you know? Like I I don't know why that's what I do, but that's what I do now. But you can do a whole ton of stuff with ExpressVPN other than just hide your IP address. You can access Netflix from other countries so you can see shows like Doctor Who that just aren't available in the US on Netflix. And ExpressVPN is compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or the big screen. Wherever you are, it's right there with you. So if you want to get started with ExpressVPN today, make sure to go to my link, expressvpn.com casket, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself. That's expressvpn.com casket. One source states, Chinese officials publicly maintain that the camps have two purposes, to teach Mandarin, Chinese laws, and vocational skills, and to prevent citizens from becoming influenced by extremist ideas to nip terrorism activities in the bud, according to a government report. Pointing out that Xinjiang has not experienced a terrorist attack since December, 2016, officials claim the camps have prevented violence. 
the government has resisted international pressure to allow in outside investigators saying anything happening in Xinjiang is an internal issue. It denies that people are forced to denounce Islam, are detained against their will, and experience abuse in the camps. In early 2019, it organized several trips for foreign diplomats to visit Xinjiang and tour a center. A US official criticized them as highly choreographed. If you ask my opinion on this, I think the only reason a terrorist attack hasn't occurred since the detention centers have started is because Chinese officials aren't trying to publicly instill fear in order to justify the camps in the first place. Of course, this is what officials would report, the same way they use the tension against Uyghurs in the first place. Despite so many countries being aware of this escalating cultural genocide, things continue to grow more dangerous by the day. The Economist and other sources have stated that many Uyghur adults have been forced to download apps that spy on them. One step out of line and they'll be sent to the detention camps. China is also using surveillance in Xinjiang to scan faces watching their every move. Party informants even spy on Uyghurs in their own homes. Nearly half of households are paired with a party member. An official will actually come to these Uyghur households and talk to the children, tell them about the supposed wonders of Chinese communism, leave and report anything of interest to their superiors. If anyone stands in the way, they're taken to a camp. That's all there is to it. And now we get to the part of the video that actually inspired me talking about this in the first place. And that's Huawei's role in this. I know it seems so minimal now as if they could do anything and pale in comparison. For those of you who remember my Huawei video, you might know that they were providing the surveillance technology. That unfortunately has expanded. The Chinese tech giant Huawei has tested facial recognition software that could send automated Uyghur alarms to government authorities when its camera systems identify members of the oppressed minority group, according to an internal document that provides details about China's artificial intelligence surveillance regime. A document signed by Huawei representatives discovered by the research organization IPVM and shared exclusively with the Washington Post shows that the telecommunications firm worked in 2018 with the facial recognition startup MegV to test an artificial intelligence camera system that could soon scan faces in a crowd and estimate each person's age, sex, and ethnicity. If the system detected the face of a member of the mostly Muslim minority group, the test report said it would trigger a Uyghur alarm, potentially flagging them for police in China, where members of the group have been detained en masse as part of a brutal government crackdown. The document, which was found on Huawei's website, was removed shortly after the Post and IPVM asked the companies for comment. Such technology has in recent years gained an expanding role among police departments in China, human rights activists say. But the document sheds new light on how Huawei, the world's biggest maker of telecommunications equipment, has also contributed to its development, providing the servers, cameras, cloud computing infrastructure, and other tools undergirding the system's technological might. John Honovich, the founder of IPVM, a Pennsylvania-based company that reviews and investigates video surveillance equipment, said the document showed how terrifying and totally normalized such discriminatory technology has become. This is not one isolated company. This is systematic, Honovich said. A lot of thought went into making sure this Uyghur alarm works. And I, I think I might be out of words. I know many of you made the argument in the comment section of the YouTube video for Huawei that they are a Chinese tech company and they have to go along with what the communist party demands. And I don't totally disagree with that. 
But at the same time, I think it's messed up that people are giving this company money thinking that they're just a giant tech company like anyone else. I mean, this is sounding almost like a sci-fi dystopian novel or something using facial recognition software to racially discriminate against somebody. It's like the definition of incredible technology falling into the wrong hands. This article continues and states, Maya Wang, a China senior researcher at the advocacy group Human Rights Watch, said the country has increasingly used AI-assisted surveillance to monitor the general public and oppress minorities, protesters, and others deemed threats to the state. China's surveillance ambition goes way, way, way beyond minority persecution, Wang said, but the persecution of minorities is obviously not exclusive to China. And these systems would lend themselves quite well to countries that want to criminalize minorities. Trained on immense numbers of facial photos, the systems can begin to detect certain patterns that might differentiate, for instance, the faces of Uyghur minorities to those of the Han majority in China. In one 2008 paper, facial feature discovery for ethnicity recognition, AI researchers in China designed algorithms that could distinguish between the facial landmarks of Uyghur, Korean, and Tibetan faces. But the software has sparked major ethical debates among AI researchers who say it could assist in discrimination, profiling, or punishment. They also argue that the system is bound to return inaccurate results because its performance would vary widely based on lighting, image quality, and other factors. And because the diversity of people's ethnicities and backgrounds is not so cleanly broken down into simple groupings. Such ethnicity detection software is not available in the United States, but algorithms that can analyze a person's facial features or eye movements are increasingly popular in job interview software and anti-cheating monitoring systems. Claire Garvey, a senior associate at Georgetown Law's Center on Privacy and Technology who has studied facial recognition software, said the Uyghur alarm software represents a dangerous step towards automating ethnic discrimination at a devastating scale. So many large Chinese video surveillance and facial recognition companies are deeply implicated in Uyghur repression. But as for what Huawei says, they follow China's lead. One source states, a Huawei spokesperson pointed CNBC to a comment the company gave to IPVM in which it said the system has not been used in a real world scenario. This report is simply a test and has not seen real world application, the statement said. Huawei only supplies general purpose products for this kind of testing. We do not provide custom algorithms or applications. Huawei operates in compliance with the laws and regulations of all countries and regions where we operate, the statement continued, and only provides ICT, information and communications technology products and solutions that meet recognized industry standards. Huawei declined to answer further questions on the report. MegV, another company they've collaborated with, says their business is focused on the well-being and safety of individuals, not about monitoring any particular demographic groups. But if that were the case, then why would the Economist video have many people, including many Uyghur Muslims, have to fear the Chinese government watching them with this type of software? I don't buy it at all and I don't think anyone else should. This facial recognition software was built to discriminate and I will fucking eat my words if I'm wrong, but I just, I just don't think I'm wrong. There's just too many things like a Uyghur alarm, like what else could that be for? Come on now, I'm not buying your lies, Huawei. Other sources have mentioned this tech being rolled out in other places like Serbia. CBS News says, when hundreds of video cameras with the power to identify and track individuals started appearing in the streets of Belgrade as part of a major surveillance project, some protesters began having second thoughts about joining anti-government demonstrations in the Serbian capital. 
Local authorities assert the system created by Chinese telecommunications company Huawei helps reduce crime in the city of 2 million. Critics contend it erodes personal freedoms, makes political opponents vulnerable to retribution, and even exposes the country's citizens to snooping by the Chinese government. The cameras equipped with facial recognition technology are being rolled out across hundreds of cities around the world, particularly in poorer countries with weak track records on human rights where Beijing has increased its influence through big business deals. With the United States claiming that Chinese state authorities can get backdoor access to Huawei data, the aggressive rollout is raising concerns about the privacy of millions of people in countries with little power to stand up to China. The system can be used to trail political opponents, monitor regime critics at any moment, which is completely against the law, said Serbia's former commissioner for personal data protection. Groups opposed to Serbian president Aleksandr Vrukic say police are leaking videos of protests to pro-government media, which publish the images along with the identities of participants. Vukic himself has boasted the police have the capacity to count each head at anti-government gatherings. During a recent rally, protesters climbed up a pole and covered a camera lens with duct tape scrawled with the words censored. Serbian police deny any such abuse of the Huawei system, which will eventually encompass 1,000 cameras in 800 locations throughout Belgrade. Huawei said in a statement that it complies with all applicable laws and regulations in Serbia and anywhere else it does business. I'm gonna be honest, I don't really think Huawei has to comply. I feel like people are gonna take advantage of this. I don't trust them with anything. Again, if you're wondering why, I've already talked about Huawei in a previous video on the YouTube channel, Feel free to check that one out if you want to. But back to the point here, this tech is being used against the Uyghur population. I agree with what The Economist said, that this is truly a cultural genocide. Frankly, I think one of the things that worries me the most is just how much is hidden and how little we really know about what's going on in these facilities. And I know with situations like these, as well as other sensitive topics I've discussed, it's easy to feel helpless, but I think so long as people don't stop caring and being aware of the situation and pressuring their governments to act and change things, then that's all we can really do right now as individuals. So please don't forget this story. And that is where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I can't really say many of you enjoyed listening to this. I'm sure it was uncomfortable, disheartening, and probably a little bit depressing. Sometimes these topics are really difficult to talk about, but to not talk about them when you have the ability to talk about them would be foolish as well. So I feel an obligation to do so. I hope you learned something from today's episode and thank you for listening. I'll see you in the next one.